Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is Wednesday, March 20th, 2013, and this is episode 1093 of the Survival Podcast. I've got a great one for you today. I've got Michael Jordan hanging on the line. No, no, not the guy from the basketball thing, no. Just a guy from Wyoming who's uh, put together a really awesome prepper group, and uh, he's going to talk about group-style prepping, how to put a group together, how to get people working together in a group, and how to build it on common interests. Before I bring him on, though, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. Sponsor of the day number one today, Ready-Made Resources. There's not much more you can ask for from a company than for their name to say what they do and then have them do it. That's what Ready-Made Resources does. All the resources you need, ready-made, ready to go, point, click, and buy, ship to you with lightning-fast service and great pricing. And I mean all the resources for your preps. Tactical check, practical check, long-term prepping stuff check, garden stuff check, 12-volt stuff check, uh, alternative energy options check. It's there. You can check it out for yourself. Ready-made resources. Com. Next up, BulkAmmo.com, and I'm happy to say I'm seeing a lot of the ammo that was gone uh, show back up, at least at BulkAmmo.com, with some of the best pricing available right now. Check them out today. Again, BulkAmmo.com. I've told you guys for a long time to be stocking up on ammo. Some of you guys didn't. Then in the last few months, well, you were probably like, damn, this is not good. And uh, that's just an inkling of things to come in the future. Uh, and, you know, I don't know if it'll be in a major event or just more events like this. It makes sense when ammo is available at a reasonable price to stock up on it. It has practically an infinite shelf life. As long as you store it in a cool, dry place, we can generally find one of those. Check them out again today, bulkammo.com. also want to remind you guys about the Walking to Freedom Forum. Please check it out. we got a lot of cool stuff going on over there. Again, only about half the membership of the forum has voted on the naughty list. If you are a member, vote on the naughty list. If you joined in the past couple weeks, but you didn't get an email saying that your membership was approved, i got news for you. Your membership was approved. Get on over there, log in, and vote. This is a democratic process. It works best with maximum participation. I also just put up a new poll on Walking to Freedom today. You'll find it stickied in the organizational board uh, right underneath the naughty list poll. It's basically, okay, we got all these people voting. What's going to be the threshold for the naughty list? So how do we determine who the bottom is? Is it just going to be the bottom five? Is it going to be everybody over 7% of voting? Is it going to be the bottom 10? Is it going to be the bottom 7? What's it going to be? Let your voice be heard at walkingtofreedom.com. Remember, you do not have to walk to be part of Walking to Freedom. You just have to be willing to help other people do it and possibly be an advocate for your state, a diplomat, as to why your state is a representation of greater liberty than those on the naughty list. I also want to remind you about 13 Skills. Come on, get on over and join 13skills.com. If you have a project you've been working on for 13 Skills, you have it on a blog, you have it on a video, you have it anywhere, uh, then uh, get it over to Dorothy at skillgirl at 13skills.com. And uh, include a link. Make sure you include your 13 Skills username so she can link to your profile. And get it over to us, and we will uh, maybe feature you on the 13skills.com blog. Blog? Blog. 
<laughs> Last but not least, do consider joining the Member Support Brigade. If you do that, you get uh, exclusive content that's available nowhere else. and You get discounts now to 40 different vendors. It's a membership that more than pays for itself. And it helps support the show at 18.3 cents an episode. So when you're done listening to this show, if you generally feel like, you know what, that was worth 20 cents. And I think I'd pay 20 cents to have another show like that. Then consider joining the Member Support Brigade because that's kind of how it works out. And then you get your money back if you're buying anything in the self-sufficiency, self-reliance, homesteading world. Anything from guns to gardening and back, uh, you will get a return of investment if you're buying stuff like that. I've put enough discounts in there. There's no reason uh, that that would happen. Military, law enforcement, Peace Corps, active duty, and prior service gets even better for you. Email me at jackatthesurvivalpodcast.com. Put service discount in the subject line. Do this before, not after you join. Tell me who you are and what you're doing if you're active duty, if you're prior service, who you are and what you did. I also extend this uh, offer to first responders like paramedics and emergency medical technicians. Uh, just email me again, same details, and I will send you a discount code. And when you sign up, you use it, you'll save even more money. With that, I do have the housekeeping wrapped up, and I'd like to say uh, with that, hey, Michael, man, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Hey, Jack, a long-time listener. Enjoy your show immensely and use a lot of stuff out of your show for what we do. Now, you know i got to do this to you. I mean, I didn't expect Michael Jordan to have a, a, a country boy accent. <laughs> well, uh, for uh, years, people have been asking me about Michael Jordan, and I just keep telling the same thing. I, I think we came back from the same heirloom. <laughs> oh, cool, man. So, hey, look, we got you on to, on to talk about um, basically community prepping and group prepping. So, you know, I'm just going to kind of start out with when did you just start prepping in general, not necessarily group prepping or community prepping, but just, you know, what kind of woke you up and, and how long how long has it been since you've been, you know, prepping at least as an individual? Well, it, you know, it's kind of funny how, how people say prepping. It's a, it's a, it's a, a new term that's hit hard, and uh, I never really considered prepping because it's a homesteading lifestyle that uh, my father from Dutch, uh, Pennsylvania, brought to Wyoming, and my mother that lived with uh, 12 sisters and brothers on a homestead in Wyoming. That's what we, you know, it's, uh, it's been in our family forever. And doing the prepping type, I guess, scenario, I've been doing pretty strongly over the last 12 years. But the concept of canning, uh, producing your own products and stuff at home has been a, a, a lifestyle in our family, I guess, for, I guess, when my uh, mother's family came from Ireland and homesteaded here. So it's just, like you come from a very similar background to me, then, with even Pennsylvania as a common, uh, common link. Yeah, it's, uh, my father was from, uh, the, I guess the Dutch Amish area and, uh, the homemade ice cream, gleaning the fields. And when he, uh, got out of the military service and moved to Wyoming, he found my mother. Uh, she's came from 12 sisters and brothers from a homestead that, uh, was, was homesteaded by my great great grandfather from Ireland when he came here. And this was the lifestyle that he was used to and they, it was just how we lived, and uh, the the prepping aspect of it was uh, I was never really prepping until 
still here recently where you you almost overstock. You 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 prep for more than just a year. But basically, you did everything, you know, for your year. You cleaned your fields, you can. That's what you used until you could get to next year. Yeah, you know, and it, I I kind of grew up with that same attitude, and no one called it prepping. No one called it survivalism. I think it became prepping and survivalism when we all collectively lost our marbles as a society and stopped being prepared for more than, you know, a day. And yeah, the resurgence is just really a return. Yeah, it's a... It goes back to full circle. I think that people are, are getting back to not one of the, uh, oh, I guess the half of life is that when you're lazy, you're not getting what you need. <laughs> and people are just lazy and people are learning now that, you know, if you don't, if you don't plan for a couple days, a couple minutes ahead, all that commodity of the fast life television and I guess getting down to the grocery store so I can have my Big Mac and stuff is, is kind of hitting them, especially during the economic times that we have now. Yeah, and I mean, you kind of took it to another level and got heavily into uh, prepping as a group. What what made you start a group for prepping? Well, Jack, it, it, it really kind of was odd that uh, I've been doing stuff for the last uh, 12 years on, on, I guess, on the prepping basis that uh, we've turned uh, this homestead that my family's had from Ireland here in the United States into a retreat. And I've been just basically building more to be uh, self-sufficient on a bigger level because of uh, the family that I had. And what really hit home one day is uh, we were doing bug out bags and making stuff just so we could kind of prep a little bit more in our house. And my son came down with Kawasaki's disease, which is an immune deficiency. And then where I am in Wyoming, we don't have a children's hospital. We don't, you know, it's it's an hour's drive anywhere, and you're still not going to see nothing. And so after being diagnosed with Kawasaki's disease, uh, the hospital said, you know, we have to get him to Denver right away, uh, and that's in Colorado that the children's facility was there, and they can bring people in to analyze his blood and kind of get things going. And I looked at the doctor, and I said, you know, where we're at, an ambulance ride to Denver is going to cost me tens of thousands of dollars. I said, can I just load my son up in my vehicle and just take him there? And he says, if you can get him there in the next hour and a half, we will call and tell them that you're on your way. If you're not there in the next hour and a half, which is a 15-minute lead time, we're going to have to call the state trooper because we he could die. So we ran to the house. I reached inside around the corner, and I grabbed three bug-out bags, one for me, my wife, and for my son, and we went to Denver. And on the way there, he was able to eat snacks. It was uh, it was almost like uh, a quick camping trip. But, uh, his pajamas were in the bag, snacks, food, coloring books. Everything was there. And when we got to the hospital, he got checked in. He got his own little toy out of his thing. And it wasn't like an inconvenience for him. It wasn't like we're going to the hospital. It's an emergency. He had everything. I uh, got up in the middle of the night at the hospital. I was able to get out of my stuff, out of my bug-out bag, 
kind of refresh, brush my teeth, and uh, kind of looked around. And after it was all said and done, they did a little blood transfer, transfusion for him to kind of flush out some of the stuff. And I ended up being healthy and brought him home. And we were so excited how smooth it went and that we didn't have any problem. I actually told a couple of my friends that about this experience. And a lady at a table leaned over and she goes, you know, I've heard a lot about bug out bags and I've heard a lot about stuff like this. She goes, it worked for you. And I said, worked for me. I said, uh, it saved my son's life. We were able to grab stuff and we were comfortable. It wasn't, he wasn't worried about getting shots. He had toys. And so it really kind of saved us. So I put an ad in the newspaper and I said, you know, uh, local prepper looking for other preppers. And I had it at the library in uh, my hometown. And they had a actually a really good response. I had over 37 people show up to the library to want to know more about this word prepping and this word survival. And I had all kinds of questions. And I met people from both extremes, from the guy that was, they're going to take our guns to the people that were just like, I, I just want to be able to be more self-sufficient in my home with a garden. And I'm looking for some 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 answers. And the next thing I know, it, it became a meeting. We were coming once a month talking about raising rabbits, canning meat. Uh, had a guy come all the way and teach us bayonet fighting. Uh, a gentleman from Montana that came down one time and teach us how to use signal mirrors other than to signal for help. And it went from being this homesteader that I was to a group of people that were like-minded. Some are on one side of the extreme, some are on the other. But when you work as a group, those things all combine for group purpose. And it, and it just started out with a, a little fiasco that I had that turned out to be I was prepared. And people like to know that things are, you know, your, your friend's dying of cancer, your mom's sick. People like to hear the happy outcome and how you got there. And the happy outcome was that we were prepared and other people want to be that way. Absolutely, and I think it makes a perfect example of how something that we always talk about, like a bug out bag, uh, you know. And I have this this slide deck that I use for a presentation on bug out bags, and it's you know it, it's one of the first things it says is what it is not. And I've got the uh, the famous pose of the guy from the Wolverines on uh, on Red Dawn with his rifle in the air, you know, screaming Wolverines, and it says it is not for this. <laughs> and, you know, you just gave a one, you know, it's not a combat, a combat pack is a combat pack. And if you want a combat pack, build a combat pack. But a bug out bag is designed to support you with some relative comfort. And for kids, that means things like you were talking about games and toys as part of it for, you know, a three day period, a 72 hour kit. And, and I think it's a great bridge. And I think your experience has been that that commonality story has built that bridge to people that maybe would have not been open to it before, right? Oh, totally. And and like you said, it's not my combat bag. You know, I, I have you know, I live in an area where I have five different types of bags. I have a winter bag. You know, winters are long here in Wyoming. I have a summer bag. Believe it or not, hundred and three degrees can happen in Wyoming in the summertime. We have the four seasons here. And to unpack a bag 
repack it back for the seasons here. You know, if you're, I don't know, I consider myself a, a, a preservation kind of person here at my own home. And I don't have time all the time because it's just me to do all the stuff all the time, repack bags, fix bags. So you have four different ones, and the fifth one is, like you said, a combat bag. Um, the scenario that, that I said, you know, the people that want to help, now I have people that come, and we have bug out bag day. Uh, it helps with the, the community that I that have kind of got. It's been helping each other more and more to do the bigger things because the lone wolf never makes it. And when you have a, a person that says, hey, you know, I, I need some of this too, and you're working together, you get more done. And you can't have a, a simple bag. You know, people, you know, when I, when I started talking about this, people were like, well, what's in a bug out bag? I said, I don't know. Uh, I got some food. I got some extra clothes and a couple flashlights at night because, you know, light's good. I said, it's just a variety of, like, just emergency preparedness stuff that's lightweight where I can just grab it and go. That's all it's for. It's not for me to set up a camp or a mobile site or anything. It's, it's for me to get out of there and, and the perfect scenario was my perfect scenario. It, the child was sick, needed the emergency attention, and we went, and it was great. It was it was awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Now, with your group, can you talk about some of the preps that your group has done together, and how you know maybe you have used or benefited individually from those preps, and how maybe the group has drawn from those preps and used them? Oh, uh, Jack, it's been. Uh, I like the community that you have on your podcast, that people give information and people learn from it. They can give you feedback. The group, when you meet and you sit down with a group of people, and when we first, you know, I I first started, I I sat down, I said, this is kind of what I was looking for. And I have, uh, the maximum I've had attend a meeting was 32 people, but I have a, 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 a strong group of 12 families now that show up on a regular basis every month and we go over our last topic. We go over new topics that we're going to do and then we do a topic. And some of the things we do is like a group prepping organization is we did a class on canning meat and I put out on FreeCycle, Craigslist, our local trader paper, if you have wild gaze meat or meat that you feel that's been in your freezer too long and you're willing to donate some of it, we would like it. Then I'm teaching class on how to can meat. And we got bacon and we got hot dogs and elk and moose. <laughs> I mean, I had, I had enough uh, meat to feed an army. And we spent one whole day canning everything from, like I said, from bacon and hot dogs to big cut roasts of uh, moose steak and deer that people, you know, if they filter their freezer, they don't eat it. People haven't learned how to rotate what they have, I guess. And we were lucky enough to get enough to do, I think it was 17 cases of canned meat. Oh, wow. And it was enough to stock my pantry and the 12 families. And it was just because we made the time to go and get it. But now we all had a stock of meat to where, you know, we could make tacos, lasagna, 
you know, your kids want a hot dog, you just open it off the top shelf and cut it down. Some of the things, and as a group prepping, you know, we went over some things like, is this really healthy? Is this organic? And we all came to a vote. When you're uh, prepping, you prep under a budget, and you prep what you eat and not necessarily what uh, the granola bus tell you. Then I'm not going to a big campsite, and I'm not going to buy a whole bunch of uh, Tommy Ho uh, dry food because everybody knows their ice cream's the best. I don't care. It's not my purpose of it. My purpose was to get a group of people together to help each other on a budget. And, and doing it this way has helped out tremendously. For the group prepping, we've had stuff. Uh, I had a gentleman come from Laramie, Wyoming, who's been raising rabbits in his family for over 27 years as a food production. He donated rabbits to our group. So people ended up getting rabbits. He showed out everything from building hutches to carrying them to what to do with the poop from the rabbits so you can use it to use uh, like a uh, worm uh, vinegar wine, whatever that you mix with your vegetables to make them grow is what he called it. Um, he, we went from the rabbits uh, to chickens. Had a guy come all the way from Montana after riding hands. He was an airborne ranger, retired. And he talks about signal mirrors. And I learned so much about signal mirrors that I, you don't flash airplanes with them. You can put them out in the woods at an angle, use your binoculars and look into them and look into a valley somewhere else where people aren't seeing. You can use them for surveillance to put in a perimeter. When you walk your perimeter, you always adjust the signal mill to a certain spot where a guy will be. If the light doesn't come on from the signal mirror, that someone must have been taken out or there was a problem in that area. With the group prepping, we're able to get more people involved. People can throw in a little bit of a donation, and you can get actually, and I'm not talking professional people such as yourself or uh, the people on your council, that's for sure, but I can have people that come and they can talk about anything and a little bit of money to get in there, and we all learn from the experience. And instead of me just reading it in a book or listening to a podcast, I have an individual that stands there and he says, I don't know if that's right. I don't know if that's right either. And then we can learn it. We can see it. It's uh, The group basis has been incredible from the people coming and sharing their products to the barter bank that we've started. That's awesome stuff. Let's go through some of it, uh, kind of revisit some of the things you brought because there was a ton of stuff there. On the meat component with canning meat uh, and then adding something like, you know, learning how to breed rabbits. Or I don't care if it's rabbits. I don't care if it's chickens. I don't care what it is. It's, it's, it's a meat source and a protein source with birds would be eggs. Um, and and it's, instead of dried granola, space astronaut ice cream and all that stuff, the the beauty there is once you know how to can meat, um, you can buy meat on sale. You can do things like you did and collectively bring together a bunch of people and do it. But there's just such a tremendous amount of nutrition and nutrient density in protein uh, that it makes a lot of sense to master that skill of pressure canning and start learning to pressure can meat. And then people ask me all the time, well, you know, you're paleo. How do you prep as a paleo person? I'm like, can meat. I mean, that's just that's only one part of the multi-tiered answer. But, I mean, wouldn't you say that it's just a – a huge nutrient uh, value when you start learning how to preserve protein. Oh, Jack, uh, 
the lost art of canning is a lost art because I, you know, I, I, my family can. And having that food source at home where I can go down and I know where, I know where the peas came from. They came from the garden. And I know where the peaches came from. They went down to the orchard in Colorado and I hand picked those. I know what the guy sprays on those peaches. To have a beet protein source where, and like I said, I learned so much by doing this. You can can whole meatloaf. So I can take and I can grind up my rabbit and my chicken and a little bit of pork fat together and make a meatloaf with some grand crackers, some uh, peppers and stuff in it, and can an edible meat source where people are like, wow, this is really good, and everything's uh, edible, and you're having a straight protein meat source, and you're doing things that are uh, at home, Enchiladas. Uh, I, I just couldn't believe what you could what you could really can. And when you when you say the meat source, canned fish, I can pheasant, I can turkey, I can pork, I can beef, I can lamb. I've opened up uh, some tins of uh, ham. Uh, I've used it, chopped it up, and with my meatloaf to make the filler, canned it. it it's a phenomenal about canning stuff like that. And like I said, the oddities that uh, we're having a canning group that's coming up here shortly. And it's called Oddity Canning, canning for Bartering. And learn how to can cake, how to can bread, and stuff like that. That, you know, every, you know everybody would like to have a piece of cake. And there you are, you <laughs> just open up a jar. And I got, I got chocolate cake right here, man. What, what, do, you, what do you want to trade for? Yeah. You know, that's funny because when we were uh, doing a lot of dry canning recently with the new vacuum canner we got, um, we, we, we did some things that were more of the treat variety. You know, M&Ms are good in a bag on the shelf for a year or more, so you vacuum seal them in a zero oxygen environment. You've got two, three years. And I don't eat a lot of M&Ms. They're obviously on the naughty list for me. Um, <laughs> but, you know, eat them once in a while. But you know what Dorothy was saying is, you know, when your kids are hungry and you're in a barter situation, what's a what's a little pint jar of M and M's worth to you? When you know you want your kids to have something like that, and it, it does put you in touch with you know beyond the mainstay of nutrition, having some of these things that we look at as luxuries. Well, and and we are animals of uh, of, of you know of, of the, the system of the down, right? That people love television. I've lived with that television for twelve years. <laughs> this is the first time I've gotten a television, and it's to watch uh, Netflix and the news. So <laughs> I'm not really watching TV, and, but I, you know, people I hear people talk about the luxuries of life, and I don't know the luxury of my life is I get up and uh, my son runs the chicken business. He's four. If you don't give him thirty cents an egg, you don't get eggs. So breakfast <laughs> in the house is hard. Um, I love that. I, I got a, a, a daughter that you know, if you can't sell her rabbit, she butchers some. Uh, <laughs> the, the, the kids, you know, we do stuff as a family. We're out fishing. Uh, our Fourth of July is huge at our retreat with people coming, and then you break out to feed all the people with a uh, with a, a whole bunch of canned goods that you know that it's not costing you anything to feed a, a multitude of people and have a good time. Uh, you know, I don't miss television. I don't, I, I don't like, you know, I lived in 
California for 15 years as an Army Corps of Engineers, a fuel specialist. And I made a change. I went from making $120,000 a year to making, you know, $40,000 a year now for a lifestyle change. The quality of life is so much better than the quantity that people want. And it's, and after people spend some time with me and experience it, some people change right away. And some people are like, I don't know, man. I still like going down to my local sushi parlor and have them cut up some meat for me. And I'm, I'm happy you have that ability to do that. Some of us can't afford it. And some of us, uh, don't, don't take those things, uh, as the quality of life. Uh, my constitution, my ability to hug my wife and my kids and to walk out and, I don't know, pee off my back porch. Jack is, is, is what I look for. I don't care about any of that other stuff. Yeah, I completely agree with with the concept of of you know the quality of life over the quantity of stuff. Um, another topic you brought up that along the meat though was the rabbits, and I think that I mean if you guys are working with rabbits, you've probably started to discover this. They're they're really underrated as a meat source. People thinking you know, of this little rabbit, but they're really pro- 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 prolific. And you know you look at them to, compared to like another let's say a small meat animal like goats. So you raise a goat to slaughter, you get 40-ish pounds of meat off a fairly substantial young goat. And it's good quality meat, but you got 40 pounds of meat, and you got to deal with that 40 pounds of meat right now. You raise up, you know, uh, 20 bunnies, and you end up with about 40 pounds of meat. And one of the great things about raising small livestock is if you don't want li- you know meat to spoil, keep it alive. So you can take the yield as you choose to, and all they do is get bigger. They're not expensive to maintain, um, and you, you've got an equivalent yield of, of protein. Um, but you've got a much, uh, to me, a much more likely thing that a lot of people that maybe don't live like you and I do can raise rabbits, where they would have a problem raising goats. Well, you know, uh, my group with one of our things is that you have to listen to certain podcasts and you have to read certain stuff to be part of the group, that uh, you have to have some, you know, you can't sit there as non-knowledgeable if you're going to show up, pay dues, and come to the group. And raising rabbits, uh, raising chickens, uh, the one thing we listened to you and then we started looking to it was the quail. My God, man, that's like the most genius thing the guy's doing in his garage. <laughs> uh, you know, we've, we've done aquaponics. And aquaponics works good, but it takes two years for you to get a, you know, a, a, a system of lifestyle for that. You know, that, that you finally got your pH level. I mean, it's work, man, to do aquaponics. Uh, when you talk about the rabbits, you know, uh, we, I've, I've learned, I can actually control the weight, the size, and how much the, the how many kids I can get. If I'm running low on feed, we feed them a little uh, less of the high protein and the more of the minerals, and she will reduce having kids. That uh, if there's not enough protein, so she's not going to produce enough milk, so she won't have as many baby bunnies. But if you want to fatten up some bunnies and you have your ability to get some uh, really oily foods, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, actually carrots are really oily, oily food uh, that uh, when you juice them, you can actually see the separation from the brown to the orange because of the content. Stuff like that. Sounds those habits a lot bigger. So have more kids. 
And if you want a rabbit that's running around from 8 to 15 pounds, <laughs> and you have 15 of them, yeah, you got a meat source. <laughs> So it's it's highly adjustable based on what you, wh- whatever you need at the time. You can increase your yield. You can decrease your yield. And I mean, oh, yeah. and you always have the option of just I don't want any right now, so don't breed the daggone things. Sure. And what's what's funny, Zach, is I, t- I talk to people all the time. I I write for a couple different magazines on different things, and when people ask, "Where do you live?" And I say, "Why well, I live in Wyoming?" Oh, up in the mountains. So well, I have a retreat that's about an hour and a half drive. Up in the mountains, but I live right downtown Cheyenne, Wyoming. I live right downtown, and I have bees, and I have rabbits, and I have chickens, and we garden. And uh, to be able to people, you know, I hear people they have gotten letters before. I live in an apartment building. Hey, don't limit yourself. Find out your laws. Find some people help you chance me your laws if you need to, and. You can start with anything, like I said, from this group prepping that I've done. I've, I met a guy who raises big old guinea pigs, man, to eat. Yeah, the gentleman had guinea pigs that he was raising for a food source. Uh, I was like, well, that's that's kind of good, right? That uh, you can produce your own food. And he said, I don't think you understand. He says, I get more litters more a year from the guinea pigs than you do. And then he pulled out this little cage, and he said, you put the guinea pig in this cage with this wheel, and he turns, and a light came on. He said, look, I've got emergency power for a light if the power goes out. You know, I understand it would take a lot of guinea pigs to power your house, but the do-it-yourself, the junkyard war type initiative that this guy has taken and looked outside the box, right, that he's taken an uncommon food source and has made it into something that, in an emergency situation, he just sticks his guinea pig in the cage and he's got a flashlight. Powers as constantly as the guinea pig runs. That's uh, that's thinking outside the box. And that stuff uh, fires me up, Jack. It was, well, you know, like right now my group is giving me information and we're looking into projects because we took your dollar store challenge. And we're actually writing a book called The Dollar Store Survivalist. And taking some of those things and looking outside the box of like, one of the one of the items inside that list, Jack, is a solar uh, yard light that you put out in your yard. Everybody has them, and you can get them for a dollar. And everybody says yes for emergency lighting. You know, you can go out, pull one out, and you have lights in your house. Yeah, but we started looking into it, and you know, if you take that light apart, it's a rechargeable AA battery. So now, if you got AA batteries, you can constantly recharge them and use them for other things. The little tube that you stick in the ground to hold the light up in the air, you can pack fishing supplies in, emergency stuff, just like you would on one of those old Rambo knives. You can fill up that tube. You can take the stake that sticks in the ground that holds the light up, and you can put that in a, on the end of a dowel. You can put that on the end of a stick, and now you've got a spear. And the one thing about it that people don't understand, it can go through a metal detector because it's plastic. So there's a lot of items just on that one little thing for a dollar. Yeah, I've got some light. I can put some cellophane over it, red, green, or blue to change the color if I want to signal different stuff. It's low amp. And it's that thinking out of the box, the dealing with the guinea pigs, us looking at some of the stuff, that if you're a prepper 
or you're a survivalist, you try to do as much as you can on the little amount that you have. And yeah, it's a, it's working with the with the group and doing stuff like that and finding the oddities of food sources. Like I, I don't know if I eat a guinea pig, but I guess if you're hungry enough, it's all dark meat. <laughs> I think that's I think that's the commonality that people that people in our our mindset really thrive for. Is that hey, that's 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 yeah, that's how you build a lock splitter, man. That's that's how I would do it. Use a tractor tire. I mean, those are those are things that that we look for. Awesome, awesome. So another thing you guys have kind of gotten into is uh, brewing. Uh, yeah, my uh, German grandfather taught me how to brew when I was 16. And uh, in Wyoming, the law was 18 drinking age for a lot of years. And when I turned actually 18, they changed the law. And it was kind of a bummer. And I was glad that my grandfather taught me how to brew. And I'm a beekeeper. I make many wines, and I've been brewing for over 20 years. And as a bartering good and as an antiseptic for your house, something you can give out to people, we did a brewing class. We brewed everything from beer to honey wine, and I taught them how to do honey wine in Nordic icing, which is a form of distillerization. It's about building a big still. You, you ice it, and you take the water content out making the alcohol content higher. And have done all kinds of different kinds of uh, brewing classes with them. And, uh, boy, after after doing it, I've got four people at home brew now their own their own brew. And uh, I have a group that comes, and every time after a meeting, we try to brew a little batch of meat because it kind of burns out some of my honey. <laughs> so, I mean... That's all awesome stuff, and I imagine that you get a tremendous amount of additional value by having this group of people together. So one person takes the other person's idea and evolves it and brings it back, and then another person takes that and plugs something else into it, and you guys are able to come up with a lot of creativity that none of you would be able to do on your own. Oh, no. Uh, It's even way beyond that, even. Uh, You're building a greenhouse at your house. You, you you want to start doing this. You really don't have the time or the feasibility. Well, I'm going to start looking on a couple free cycles, Craigslist. I'm going to find glass windows. Uh, Dave over here works at a place that has pallets, and he's going to start loading up pallets. So I'm looking for your glass. He's looking for your wood pallets, and you're getting your plot all laid out. And then the group comes over, and we build your greenhouse, and it costs relatively nothing. Uh, with having the barter bank and the people looking all the time to start swapping and, and, and getting new equipment, uh, is a whole different scenario than me spending time trying to find things when I have people that can know what I'm looking for. It's made a list. There's no sense of browsing. They just look for the list. Uh, when you have the group of people come over and you have a topic such as we have a gentleman that's going to come and talk about archery. Some people shoot bows. Some people don't. Some were interested, some were not. When you all show up and when we talked about it, you're going to sit down. You were all supposed to have at least one question. If you were a bow hunter, you were supposed to bring your bow so the gentleman could look at it for maintenance. And if you weren't a bow hunter, you were supposed to come up with scenarios that you think would be not suitable for bow hunting so the gentleman had a topic to go against it. 
So not only are you all giving input into the the class, you're all going to either hit it as a group effort or you're going to try to tackle it to see if it's a great scenario for everybody or not. And the group prepping, like I said, the barter bank was like something that we came up with that was just incredible. It's uh, the, Those things in the in a group community, I mean, as a human being, you strive for companionship. You strive to be with other people. I, I don't care about anybody says I'll live up in the hills and be the troll or whatever. And you live for companionship. And when you sit down and I'm talking about bow hunting and the guy says, yeah, I'll tell you something about bow hunting. He says, I've never used anything but the bottom of a beer bottle. You know, like, what do you mean? He says, yeah, you break the bottom of a beer bottle out, use that glass to make an arrowhead sharper than any stone, and if it hits any bone fragments inside something, it shatters, causing uh, fragmentation inside the body. Well, I didn't know that. Well, I wouldn't have known that until I heard from the guy that does it, who naps town glass to make arrows. Wow, that's cheap. That's effective. That's awesome. Well, it's interesting to hear that it works well because... I knew about people making the uh, the arrowheads with it. I didn't know how practical it would be as a hunting implement because what a lot of people do that are learning flint napping, they use glass as like you know if you ruin a piece of flint, you're, you're out that piece of flint. But if you if you ruin a beer bottle bottom, you just go break another bottom off a beer bottle. Um, so it's interesting to hear that that it's, that it's actually proven as, as as practical. Yeah, and and has been. Uh... Shows show you how to how to how to fill a bottle up, break the bottom out, nap it down with a piece of leather, and strap it onto your your stick. Uh, how to straighten your stick so it flies straight with that heavy piece of glass at the end, and then showed us that you know you have to sharpen steel to cut glass and stone. You chip and it's sharp. So he says you know you need to resurface. You just chip the edges off and it's sharp. There's no honing it. There's no bringing it out with the grinder, the file, all the way down to the leather strap. So they chip it, and it's good. It's, it's quick, it's effective, and it cuts deep, and it cuts hard. <laughs> well, yeah, that's that's a very interesting point about when you when you nap flint or, or, or glass or obsidian. It, it is sharp. Uh, you don't have to sit there with a stone playing with it for hours to get a razor's edge on it. A shattered piece of glass, sharp edge goes together. Um, what I also like about the way you describe that is, so people that had experience in bow hunting were part of the event because they had experience in bow hunting. They had something they could contribute with their knowledge and their equipment. But people that weren't bow hunters were still given a way to add value to the presentation by saying, you know, I don't think you would be able to use archery equipment in scenario A. And then the individual that was an expert at it could say, well, maybe not exactly the way you're describing, but here's how you would address that situation. So everybody was not just required to contribute, but had a method by which they could contribute. Oh, yeah. This class is coming up, and that's exactly correct. Everybody's going to show some involvement. And uh, like I said, you're going to get people in a group setting. You're going to have people that are the far extremists. Like I said, they're going to take my guns. I'm a full patriot. There, you know, you got the herbalist on the other side. You know, I couldn't stomp on a fly. <laughs> I'm not going to ever in my life. And if it comes down to where they're going to push us all in a FEMA camp, you know, I'm going to make it. And I just do what I have to do to make it. So you get both sides of this, and for them to come to the middle, the middle road, 
is where is where you have to set down your boundaries and your lines. That not everybody likes what you have to say, and and we sat down and I've had people have really really big discussions, and you just no, it's not part of the group activity. Let's stay with the the group activity. Remember, you do not have to like what somebody says, but you should take what they say to a, an initiative into heart, right? That there might be something that they're thinking about that you're not. And when you sit down, like I said, we had a, a, a group course and we did uh, uh, the bayonet fighting. And the one lady was like, I'm, I'm not into this. And the guy that came and taught it said, pick up your broomstick off your mop. And he says, you step on the end of it. And he says, there you go. She goes, well, because she didn't own a gun. She doesn't own a rifle. The bayonet fighting wasn't for her. Why would it be acceptable for me, she said. And the guy broke off a mop handle and handed it to her. And he says, I'm going to let you know. He says, it's, it's, he says, it's not about fighting. He says, I want, you know, when people have dysentery or hepatitis and people are hungry, you want to keep them away from you. If somebody's running at an attack at you, you want to keep them away from you. He says it's not the bayonet. He says it's the bow stack. He says it's the rake out in your backyard. He, and, and it kind of got her the concept, right, that, oh, it's just to keep people at a distance so you don't get sick or blood on them on you, or just to keep people at base so they don't have to grab you. And he was like, exactly. So when you sit down and you can have other people discuss and talk, you don't get the gamut. You get the whole scenario of what that gamut's about. And like I said, after after doing some of this stuff, and when you sit down with your group and you start making your barter bank and stuff, you'll feel the sense of the community that, man, I, I'm not home right now. My wife's at home, and they're, they're having problems. Can you go there? And you have some of your computer in your community that goes, you bet I'm there. Right, because I know you'd be there for me, because you have been for the last two, three years with us doing this stuff. I know I can count on you, and it brought a whole other aspect of not having good friends or family, but having a reliable group, a community. You know, when you talk about your your dirt team, and you know, we we always want to build the you know you're building the TSP community. That was kind of like my goal. You know, I would like I would like to sit down and drink meat with you, Jack. I would. I would like to sit down, uh, you know, I, you, the gentleman that talks about your power, uh, that, you know, that's my thing is I'm a, I'm a beekeeper and an energy guy. I, I was a fuel specialist for the Army Corps of Engineers for 20 years. And when he sits down and he's talking about batteries and stuff, when I was overseas and we were building uh, big uh, CP conductors for the uh, AWAC system, and if they went down, they ran on those batteries. So it's just like how you describe that is to sit down and would like to sit down and wire something up with him and to make a solar panel or a kit for my truck to run on wood gasification and stuff like that. That's my stuff. And the people that I work with are uh, fuel and energy people. Some of them are veterinarians. Some of them are doctors, truck drivers, martial arts. Instru- I mean, I've got a, a plethora of different areas that, not always fit in, but to have a group that would sit down and build a golf cart into wood gasification because I like it, and they learn something from it, and now we have a vehicle that we can use. Yeah, it's a golf cart. Yeah, it only goes 20 miles an hour, but, you know, we built that. We all understand the concept of fuel, how it burns, how it works, 
it made it made a huge difference, Jack. Other than me reading it and go out and tinkering it with myself, to sit down and have a class on a weekend and experience with other people is just tremendous. I think there's a huge resource advantage there too, because like you were talking about building a greenhouse. Well, let's say I want to build a greenhouse. I know how to frame out a greenhouse. Um, I have not yet purchased a, a, a nail gun, let's say, and I don't have a, an air compressor. But if a member of the group has an air compressor and a nail gun and comes over and helps me build the greenhouse, and maybe next week I go help him build one, um, that resource gets shared. And when you start putting together, you know, like I think you said a dozen families as part of your group, it, it almost always would lead down to the point that whatever anybody needs, especially a thing that you don't need to own, you just need to use for a period of time, that with people with this little type of interest, somebody in that group is going to have it or know where you can get access to it or know a way it can be acquired for less money. Or let's say nobody owns it, then we can do a group buy and buy one to share with the group. It just seems like that resource leverage is massive. And there's a lot of people that own very expensive items they get used two or three times a year, and it doesn't really seem to make sense. It's like it's in like you know limbo prison for you know ninety percent of the year, so that you can say it's yours. No, that is exactly it, Jack. I have a contractor who has built a trailer that is mobile. If you need to to erect anything, we just tell him. He looks how his trailer brings it over, has the air compressor on it, the batteries. It has tools in it. You know, he just drops it off. You use it. Fill up the generator and stuff when you're done. He comes and picks it up. I don't know what it would cost you to rent some of the equipment the gentleman has. Right? But he's part of the group. Hey, man, I'll drop off the backhoe. You know, that's $150, $200 a day rental. And he's going to let you drop off so you can dig some swells and uh, build some foundations for some huts and stuff. Sure, man, that's that's a good deal. Uh, we got into, uh, barter banking. And when you have people that have like excess of stuff, you know, I, you know, I built, he built this trailer, had an extra couple drills. I didn't need any more drills. So if people didn't need more drills. So what do you do with it? You stick it in a barter bank. If you ever come across a tent that I need or a composting toilet, I've already put stuff in the bank. See if you can barter some stuff out. And see if we can get my composting toilet. So then, you know, you call up the guy Craigslist and, you know, I say you got a composting toilet. What do you want for it? Well, I was looking for 150 bucks. You know, it's a good toilet, about a thousand bucks, but we don't use it. Well, I, I tell you what, I got an old generator and two drills. Would you be willing to barter and trade for it? Sure. So then, you know, next thing you know, I'm calling back up Dave and I said, hey man, you know, I, I, I got you a composting toilet and it cost us two drills out of the barter bank. So it didn't cost us anything. It was something I wasn't using that we were able to barter for something that I needed. Uh, Dave also had two AR guns that he put in, but he will only barter those off for gold. He wants gold or silver for them. Mm. Oh, okay. If, if we run into a guy that's got gold and silver and willing to barter for the amount of gold that you want for your guns, that's that's fine. That's just, you know we'll we'll look around if a guy's selling gold coins or you know I've got some silver coins. I'm looking to you know those that 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 helps out tremendously with uh, looking for things for you know I need a couple extra tents. Well you know if you find some tents you know I threw in some honey and some wax 
into the barter bank if you can barter that off and get a good deal. I mean, those things are, are a great asset. That's how my boy got chickens. Jack is, we were out at the feed store and the lady had chickens and the lady comes up, she says, your son's trying to barter honey for chickens. I don't, oh yeah, he's been listening to his dad. Uh, <laughs> I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what he's got. He's got some, he's got four pound jars of honey. He's looking to probably trade you some honey for some chickens. And he bartered for five chickens. He did it. He takes care of them. They're his job. Uh, with the, with the group and doing stuff, you know, like the son's learning. Other people in the group are learning. It's a, it's a group learning experience. And if you don't apply the stuff that you read or you hear about, you're not using it. And with the group, you'll apply that stuff because you have other people pressing you like a weightlifter or a gymnastics coach. They're going to make you press to do a little bit more because I took my son camping before the winter happened and I was going to do a friction fire and 30 minutes later, the fire started. But for 30 minutes, I had to hear about, I'm hungry. Dad, I know there's a lighter in the truck. Should I go get it for you? No, I've got this. Um, Dad, it's, it's not working. I'll go get the light. To have a four-year-old telling you that you sure can't do this <laughs> makes you want to practice a little bit more. That's a, that's that other stressful scenario right there, Jack. I had the, the Kawasaki problem with my son. Had to run and go. You want a scenario? You want to be under pressure where a guy's yelling at you about getting stuff done? Start a friction fire with a four-year-old up in the mountains. Well, and you know, in the, in that in the real scenario, wouldn't it actually be the case that your four year old would be hungry and would be dependent on you getting it done? I mean, that that's that's reality, isn't it? It, 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 it I mean, I, I describe people. People laugh. Why don't you just go get the lighter? The point was was that we went out. We went out with nothing. He he got to pick a can of raviolis, and I took beanie weenies. And we were going to cook him out on the fire after walking uh, down the road. And we got up to the retreat, walked a little bit, and we're starting to get done. We said, well, maybe we should eat our cans. And he goes, yeah, you know. He broke out his can, and Dad was going to build a friction fire. And 30 minutes later, after hearing him complain the whole time about it's cold, the, the lighter's in the truck, Dad. No, well, I know, I know. But we're going to do it this way. Finally getting started. I told you, I told you. And we're eating, and the gratification was great. Yeah, have a four-year-old sit there and tell you that you're doing it wrong for for 30 minutes. It's a great scenario, Jack. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, and, and you got all of this started by running an advertisement? Yeah, uh, Jack, uh, I'm not totally off the grid. I have Facebook, uh, but I work constantly. I, I work a night shift as a custodian. I do bees during the day. And I'm a fuel tester for the EPA. So I'm constantly busy. I'm never home. And the people that I was hanging out with, I told them about the bug out bags, kind of like my mindset. And I started getting more questions. So I put an advertisement out on my Facebook. There's like a couple things called like barnyard swap where you could swap chickens with somebody else or have their, uh, a bull come in and breed your cow. You know, you can talk to those people. So I posted it on trading places and stuff and put a little ad in the local, uh, we call it tidbits here. And I put it in the local trader magazine and 
showed up. And the next thing I have people showing up from all walks of life. Uh, like I said, in my, my group, that's the, like the 12 family strong. I have a veterinarian that, uh, that came and was like, I would love, I would love to come and then ended up moving to a whole nother uh, county. But we keep contact. But here's a person that can tell you what's wrong with you without telling you. I mean, a, a cow is never going to be able to tell the veterinarian, oh, I'm going to stomach cramp. You know, it's right about here. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. kind of a subject in of itself. A veterinarian is an incredibly gifted doctor because that is the case, that they have to diagnose without feedback um, or with very limited feedback. They can push on an animal's midsection. It responds with pain. Oh, okay, that hurts. But they can't. the animal can't say it's a shooting pain, it's a stabbing pain, it's a throbbing pain. It only hurts when I let – you know, you can't tell the, the vet that. Um, I think a lot of people, like, kind of put vets down, and they think of, like, vets are, like, guys that washed out of uh, med school – but I've actually heard there's quite a few doctors out there that washed out of vet school. Well, I, I know when the gentleman told me, he says, you go down to your feet and rack the plant, and let's start buying uh, animal penicillin and stuff like that. He says, well, we dilute it down by body weight, and we can get it in bulk at a cheaper price. You know, really? I said, I was listening on to Jack Spurkos about fish antibiotics. He goes, fish antibiotics. He says, we should find a holistic person. I said, I got one. And this lady called. She says, you know, I... I read your thing about it. She says, I, I do holistic. I grow my own golden seal root. I grow my own plants. But she says, if anything would happen, I wouldn't be able to protect myself because I don't own the gun. Mm-hmm. Um, well, why, why don't you show up? And, and here's a holistic. Here's a, a veterinarian. Here's a construction person. Here's a truck driver who can drive semi-trucks, big rig trucks. So now i got a guy that can drive trucks. I got a rancher that ranches cattle all day who can help you find feed at a cheap place. Or uh, they have big fires in Colorado Springs, and he was actually going down to Colorado Springs, picking up people's horses, driving them back up here and housing them for him because he had enough land to do it. See, that's that community-based outreach, right? Because he was helping his community because of what he had. Uh when you've got people that's all walks of life, like I said, I'm a fuel specialist and a beekeeper. I have a guy that's a gold prospector. We took our family up to learn to gold prospect. It ended up being one of the greatest family trips where the kids were running around in the mountains and we were getting wet. Then we actually all found gold. And it was, it was a group trip to learn how to pan gold. I mean, to have the diversity of everybody that comes in with something to offer and for you to expand on it. Uh, Jack, I'm going to let you know, listening to your podcast, listening to the people that you have on your community, and then your ex, I wish I had experts like you do. Uh, the experts it I have. Like it's some like you do. <laughs> it's, it well, sounds uh, like you definitely have some experts, just maybe in different genres. Yeah, you know, like I said, when we sit down, we talk about something, and they'll say, yeah, I heard that on uh, Jake Spierko's uh, thing about building the battery bank inside of a toolbox, or They'll be saying, yeah, I was reading a Backwoodsman magazine about how to make cattail bread the other day. Maybe we should all go out and uh, see what we can all make from cattails one meeting. You bring in a dish from cattails, bread, suicide with onions or something. And, you know, those are things that are grown wild here. Grabbing a class up. Jack, it's, uh, it's been a, an enlightenment because, like I said, I, I work so much, it's, I don't really know a lot of people. But the people I know, I want to be not only friends with, I want them to be 
something that you know you could call up and say, we're going to Denver, Colorado. Would you like to go with us and, and do some group shopping? What day? And you go down and it's people that you'd actually like to spend time with. <laughs> it's not like you're going with uh, your sister's friends, you know, on the third wheel. This is great. This is a group of people that you want to go with. You don't mind going camping with. You know, that, you know, you, you poop in the woods. Who wants to see that? Not really anybody, but there's a group I feel comfortable with. But, you know, they all got the same mindset. We're all going out. We're all going to do this. I'm going to help you. You're going to help me. Yeah, it's a, it's been my wife for the life because actually I got something I can do at home. <laughs> but I got people that come over and that we talk and I can use my uh, library on the shelf to more than just something I like rummaging through. So what would be your advice? Because I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that say, boy, this sounds like a good thing. I'd like to have one of these groups around me. How would you suggest that people would start out again? I guess you started with an, an advertisement. Well, I, I think your best bet, and after talking with people and stuff, is a have a class. Uh, I do beekeeping classes. I do brewing classes. I think your best thing is to have a class. If it's something that you like to do, if it would be a quilting if it would be uh, aquaponics, if it would be any 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 little, you would not believe the little the little things that come up. Like I said, the signal mirror. Let's say you just put an advertisement. I'm going to teach about how to use a signal mirror. Anybody that would like to know about what signal mirrors are, how to use Morse code with them, put that out there, and then just come up with something like um, this is a group preparedness thing. If you have anything to offer, please contact this number and. The next thing you know, you're going to have two or three people that call. Those two or three people know people, and they're going to you say, well, can you bring somebody? Well, then they bring somebody. You might hit a topic that's going to be interest to one of those people. So if you have five people come, and they bring a person or two, now you're up to 20 people that have come to listen to you talk about signal mirrors. And during the discussion of signal mirror, and if you would like to know more about this or you would like to do more, please let me know, and you give out an email address. Well, people email you. Have you ever thought about uh, doing a class on stitching tents or canvas? No, I never thought of that. Like, do you know anything about it? Well, yeah. Next thing you know, you're putting out an advertisement. Prepper group, having a big canvas meeting. Bring your canvas, learn how to make tents, how to waterproof them. You know, and the next thing you know, more people show up. Next thing you know, you're another guy saying, well, I'd like to have a topic. I would like to do something about... Uh, how to grow raised bed gardening. And the next thing you know, and next thing you have a group that's coming on a regular basis, learning how to cook, camp, clean, build, and you build your community. There's there's nothing all you just put out there. Prepper looking for other preppers. Survivalist looking for other survival homesteader wanting to find other people that homestead. You're gonna get one call. They know somebody. You already probably know somebody. That's what starts building your group. But you got to remember not to uh, not to um, push who you are on them. That's the one thing that I've learned from this group is that you're going to have, like I said, some people that are the far extremist to the far pacifist. You're going to have somebody that knows a lot about carpentry and someone that doesn't even know what a nail is. The object is for you all to get together to share ideas and not make people like you. You want people that are already like you, and that's why you form the group. But if you have people that are preppers and you have people that like fishing, 
a, a group of people that I have, like I said, we're not a militia crew by any means. Uh, we're a group of people that get together to share ideas, philosophies, and stuff. But out of that group, four guys have gotten together, have never met each other, and uh, about once a month they meet uh, on an average and, and shoot guns. Uh, it's kind of like how your gentleman from uh, 299 Days, how he gets his yep. group together, we're all at the shooting club. This is a, a prepper group that got together, and some of these, you know, other groups, you know, have kind of passed out. They, they've never got to shoot with another guy before. Here, these guys are tactical shooters, and I've got to go out and I, I've got to see how to shoot uh, different things. And when shooting, they set up bowling pins and shotguns, and we did shotgun bowling, and it was fun. And <laughs> I would have never got to do that if I didn't meet these guys. It's a, it's a, it's a whole different scenario when you meet people that are in your mindset, but with their own ideas. Because I want to never been shotgun bowling before, but that was fun. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Everything's more fun with a shotgun. Um, and I think you're telling us that, I mean, I had Marjorie Wallcraft on about a year ago about this same subject. And she started, and it came from a totally different viewpoint, but it started with the exact same thing. Run a class, an event, a film viewing, something that is in the, the realm of the homesteading and self-sufficiency and self-reliance. And you know, people always say, well, how do I find people interested? Well, if you run something like that, guess what? All the people that show up at least have an interest. That doesn't mean that everybody that shows up to something like that is going to end up being part of your group because groups by their nature are voluntary associations. This isn't like, you know, school where you show up and they go, you're in class 315 and shut up and sit down and, you know, sharpen your pencil. This is adults making decisions to, to, to you know, to, to, to work together uh, in a voluntarist style. But, if you if you put something out with a common interest, again, all the people that show up are going to have at least that interest in common. Because you're not going to go to a workshop on uh, building raised beds or how to butcher poultry unless you're interested in that. You you know somebody like I don't want to know nothing about that, but I think I'll waste an hour and a half of my time anyway and drive down there. It just doesn't happen. Yeah, no, and and like I said, I don't think people really you know if you're listening to your community. And the people that I've got to meet, I don't think people really understand. It's not always that uh, wacko guy, that the prepper or survivalist guy. It's not the Ted Kaczynski or <laughs> it's, it's not that guy. It's uh, it's the woman down the street that I met that lived in the Mormon colony for 15 years who's teaching me how to rotate my food stock now. Sure. sure. I mean, that's, that's one of the real-life scenarios. It's, it's this woman that's teaching me how to rotate my food stock because of her experience being in the Mormon colony for 15 years. It's yeah, you the, know, and the, I would say, and I would, I'm wondering if you would agree with this because you, you've been kind of in the lifestyle your whole life, but you kind of came back to the whole, let's organize it as prepping around six years ago. And, and there's been a lot that's happened in six years. I think it's much easier to find people that are receptive to this today than it was six years ago. I think it's like night and day, actually. Oh, yeah. Uh, I would say 10 years ago, uh, you were called uh, oh, the ninja fanatic, <laughs> right? You have all of your stuff in your bag and you're stealth at night. No, I'm a airborne ranger. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, totally. The, the, the concept of people kind of get more, uh, like I said, Jack, times are getting tough, and it's going to get tougher. 
the taxes just came through. I just lost another three hundred dollars out of my check for taxes. Yeah. And that's money that I'm not getting. It's going to taxes now. Times are going to get tougher on people, and you know, uh, the one of the big. I'm always looking for a dehydrator, Jack. <laughs> uh, when we go through food, you dehydrate it. Whatever you keep, you keep the rest goes to the chickens and the rabbits. Uh, I would have never known to dehydrate that stuff, but wasn't listening to another guy telling me that, yeah, you know, you can feed your animals the food, but he says, why don't you take half of it and dehydrate it and use it for later? And I didn't think of that. Sure. Those, those are things, and when you start meeting those kind of people, like I said, the veterinarian, who was, you know, the veterinarian coming over, and he's like, yeah, can and can and meatloaf. That's man, I love meatloaf. Life makes great meatloaf. You know, and then have a lady that comes in who says, you know, I'm not really into all this other stuff, but she says I would like to be part of it because I grow burdock and uh, ginseng and stuff, and I would like to trade some of my uh, herbalistic stuff with some of your guys' stuff, and uh, I could help run a triage sometime. I was a nurse. You were a nurse. Well, yeah, many years ago, but she says, you know, now I just kind of run my little herbal thing and teach uh, metaphysics. Oh, all right. Well, you're 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 the conductor of light. I'm not judging you or anything. Here's a lady that's bringing alternative medicine into the group. Don't judge her. You know, the the aspect of you're going to find people that are looking for this, and they're going to come. And like I said, I've had a lot of people come, but like I so said, I have 12 strong members that, you know, we're going to get something done. We vote on this meeting. We're reading the Constitution. Next meeting, we're going to have a guy come, and he's going to teach us how to tie flies for fly fishing so you know how to tie your own flies. Well, that's kind of two extremes, right? One's Patriot, one's the guy out back. Sure it is, but it's hitting all common concepts that we all like, outdoors, survival, prepping. Economy. I mean, it's, it's all one basis, and you just have to learn to filter in the stuff that's good, filter the stuff out. And and you, when you've got a good community and you're hitting good topics, because I post my topics, our group's going to have this topic. Regular members, please come at this time so we can go over previous minutes. Other people that would like this topic show up, and, and we're going to go over this topic. Donations are always great to pay for the stuff that we do, but remember, it's free because it's community of action. We want you to be part of the community. And when you have people that drive from another state to come in to learn to make cheese, to make the they really want to learn to make cheese if they're driving across the state. <laughs> yeah, they're they're coming to learn to make cheese. And the one guy says the one thing that made us come is that the bottom. He said you're going to teach us how to make the cheese into powdered cheese because my kids love mac and cheese. He says we will learn how to make our cheese into powdered cheese so we can keep it. He drove all the way from Nebraska to do this. Yeah, I'm not, it's a class. You're going to learn, and if you like it, you're going to come back. If you if you don't, you're going to give me input on how to change it, and we'll make it better next time. Yeah, they're not they're not just coming to hang out and drink beer with you. They're coming to learn. They're 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 coming to to appreciate and to share ideas. They're not just coming to hang out. If they were doing that, they'd probably be down at the local tavern. Awesome, man. Well, hey, I appreciate you being with us today, and I think you've given people a lot to think about, and uh, I think that the advice of starting with common interest is great advice, so uh, thanks for being with us here today, Michael. Well, Jack, enjoy your podcast and listen to it, I guess, religiously, <laughs> but I appreciate your, your, your panel, 
I got to get some of the TSD copper coins of those beehives from Copacho out of Fort Collins, Colorado. I was going to buy that county one time, but they ended up going to do it. Boy, on your TSD podcast with their coins. Uh, I'm a pretty big sponsor of that. I love that. Awesome, awesome. Well, again, thanks for being with us today. And with that, this has been Jack Spierko today along with Michael Jordan, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Sometimes we forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer. It's like there's nothing I can do. It's the price we pay, I guess, when we follow all the rules. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way. Nobody up there cares, they're living for today.